Hello again. It's Giovanni McIver here again. Uh, July 13th, 2023. Yeah, we're getting to the end of the uh, week here. And um, I'm getting excited because I'm going on vacation in about a week. So I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to try not to think about too many things while I'm away. And not do too much other than enjoy myself. Go to the beach. Eat lots of nice food, that kind of thing. See nice people. That's great. I'm so looking forward to it. But today, we're going to go and examine the Supreme Court, which uh, I was mentioning last time on the last show. I wanted to um, compile a little program. And uh, so that's today. And uh, strangely enough, even though I just got over... Um, saying that uh, most news organizations are not in the manner and not in the business of uh, investigating anything or doing any kind of original reportage, uh, the AP uh, disproves my point by doing an investigation. And guess on who? Well, it happens to be on the Supreme Court, so this is very exciting. Sometimes things just line up perfectly, but um, you always have to take it with a little grain of salt because the people at the AP you know, are part of the same system that the justices and all the elites of our society are in. Um, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but you also have to question the way that they frame things, because, of course, the Supreme Court is always framed as conservatives versus liberals, right, in terms of the politics, but in terms of the justices' particular persuasions on the, on the way that they rule, right? But um, I'm here to kind of disabuse you of that notion. Because the whole legal system, by definition, is a conservative institution. Um, it's just in the nature of law. And it's pseudoscientific approach, right, that it's supposed to rely on fundamental principles and logic and supposed to be blind, right, justice is blind, like the person with the blindfold on and the scales, right? Um, well, of course, it never really works that way. I mean, there are biases in everything, including science and mathematics. Um, not silly biases, but biases that are more related to philosophical conundrums. Anyway, um, yeah, the Supreme Court. So, you know, there's uh, the nine justices, right? I mean, you have Sotomayor, who I consider fairly, you know, ethical and probably a pretty clear-headed person, although one of the investigations the AP does is um, the way that she promotes her books, right? And we'll get to that. There's, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas, who in my book is just the worst kind of individual. I mean, just somebody who, you know, got burned early in life, resented it. You know, all the things I'm going to say here are alleged, um, you know, his whole thing with, uh, you know, the sexual harassment and, um, I don't know. It, it just seems like he's a very bitter man. He hardly says anything on the court. Um, very strange guy. I mean, very flawed, I would say, um, in many ways. So it's kind of sad that we have him on the court. Justice Roberts, I call him Howdy Doody, you know, the gap-tooth grin guy. 
Um, taking over for Rehnquist. Rehnquist I have a little bit more respect for, even though he was pretty conservative. Um, I think Roberts, I call him Mr. Roberts, he's, um, I don't know, he's just, uh, you know, he's he's kind of in the line of Scalia, right? The this, this notion that we stick to the original intent, whatever that is, of the Constitution, and we, we uh, you know, rule by very strict um, interpretation and don't read anything into the... Well, of course, uh, he himself in the latest um, decision involving affirmative action just completely contradicted himself in terms of, uh, you know, basically uh, ruling uh, in an emotional way, right? and making these arguments that had pretty much nothing to do with the law in order to, you know, consider getting rid of uh, affirmative action. And, of course, that's going to that's happen, at least in the college admissions process. So, you know, in the college admissions process, when you're going to law school, guess who gets in law school, right? People like George W. Bush. Um, but also people on the liberal end of the thing. But... Um, Again, don't let them fool you that there's a liberal versus conservative. They're all in the oligarchy kind of category, right? They get they get um, handpicked for their positions. They get handpicked for the schools that they go to, mostly Ivy, Ivy institutions. They get handpicked in the profession that they work on. Don't let them working for the government fool you. It's a revolving door. There's nothing liberal about it. You know, if you look at the structure of law school, of course... Who are the people who go to law school? Very wealthy people, usually. Very privileged people, right? And that's going to skew their rulings. It's just the, the way it is. That's how bias works. Um, you know, I, I, I was foolish when my wife went to law school. I said, oh, great, you're going to go and you're going to, you know, you're going to fight for the little guy. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what worked. That's not what happens. Someone said, oh, you got a really naive point of view. This is like when I was way back in my 20s and 30s, and I was proud of her, so it was kind of coloring my, my, um, you know, my, my, my vision of what the, what law and law school was all about. Of course, you're working for the elite, right? If you're in the, in the elite of the law school crowd, you are basically serving the elite, whether it's in government or out of government. It doesn't, at this point, it doesn't matter. It's all revolving door. You can get just as rich, in government, as you can outside of government. So, in all for all intents and purposes, I mean, you can get filthy rich if you work for a hedge fund or you work for whatever. But um, you know, don't 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 let people pretend like um, the Supreme Court has the people's interests in general, you know, um, at hand. It's just simply not the case, and you can see historically that has never been the case. You have to fight tooth and nail for any little you know crumbs off the table. So let's just disabuse uh, people of that notion that somehow the Supreme Court is this this fight between good and evil, between conservatives and liberals, between moving forward and moving backward, and, and the rest of it. I mean, I do think that the conservatives tend to, be, uh, you know, kind of have a regressive court, which you know goes back to there's a there's a role for tradition, but when tradition makes you go backwards. Um, and uh, regresses you to a to a, a worse state than you are in the present. I don't think that's good. I think um, in in general the liberal justices have, um, you know, uh, made things. You know, their decisions have contributed to some progress. 
So again, I don't think you can kind of look at this thing as well. It's just conservatives versus liberals, and we just go back and forth in a pendulum. Swings well now. Things have progressed since the 17, late 1700s, and mostly because of um, the liberal, the, the liberal decisions that have been um, handed down by the court. So I, again, I don't think we can be like, oh well, you know, it's just uh, one one poll against the other. There's really no difference. Well, if you look at it historically, I don't think that's true. I mean, that's pr pretty blatantly obvious. But anyway, um, the uh, AP did this did this investigation. But before I'm going to get to the numerous articles um, on their website, I'm going to go down because I scroll. Uh, if you scroll down to the bottom of their you know top news thing, there's a there's an article about Justice Kavanaugh, okay? So Justice Kavanaugh, allegedly, a frat boy rapist kind of guy, right? I believe every minute of every woman's testimony, um, it's kind of a travesty that he's on the court. But uh, let's see what he said. Justice Kavanaugh seeks to dispel the notion that the Supreme Court is partisan. So <laughs> even though people are telling the Supreme Court that you're partisan, right, um, and that the justices are partisan, they're, they're going to come and out and be defensive about it and say, no, we're not, and this is why. So, Justice Kavanaugh speaks to dispel the notion that the Supreme Court is partisan. Justice Brett Kavanaugh points to the mixed decisions that emerged from the U.S. Supreme Court this term as he seeks to dispel notions of, part of a partisan high court. He told a judicial conference in Minnesota on Thursday that the high court is, is quote, an institution of law, not of politics, not of partisanship. Well... Okay, methinks thou dost protest too much. But anyway, you know, let's see what he has to say. Justice Brett Kavanaugh pointed to the mixed U.S. Supreme Court decisions this term as he sought Thursday to dispel notions that it is partisan, even after conservatives brought about the end of affirmative action, college admissions, and struck down President Joe Biden's student loan debt relief program. Okay, so he's going to explain to you why the court is not partisan or the justices aren't partisan. The court isn't an institution of law. It is an institution of law, not of politics, not of partisanship. Well, that statement in and of itself is not true because the, the court is always um, affected by politics. Guess who appoints the justices, right? I mean, it's, all, it's very predictable. Unless something unusual happens, conservatives are going to, you know, appoint conservatives and liberals are going to um, appoint liberals and they're and they're going to be partisan i think to some extent and you could say well they are partisan but then once they got on the court they they all kind of just are in the middle somehow or well that's just clearly not true if you look at any of the analysis of how people decide cases um been many many research papers on it you can go check it out the Supreme Court has been reshaped by the three justices nominated by President Donald Trump, including Kavanaugh. So um, the, the other little wrinkle in this thing is the fact that uh, Merrick Garland was uh, blocked, right? And then Justice Ginsburg decided that she wasn't going to retire, right, um, when a uh, Democratic president was in power. So therefore, we have a 6-3 court in, in, in favor of the conservatives instead of 5-4 in favor of the liberals. That's how it actually should be. So right there, I think your the legitimacy of the court is in question because there's a lot of political, right? That was a political action, right? Those are political actions. Um, so, <clears throat> except in uh, 
Ginsburg's case, the, the, the thing that distinguishes her is that um, she, she kind of went against the politics, right? I mean, she said, well, it doesn't really matter who's president. I'm going to serve as a justice and until I can't, until literally her death, right? And so Trump got the opportunity to, to uh, nominate somebody. So, but um, certainly the rejection of Merrick Garland, Garland was, um, was absolutely 100% political um, because he didn't even get up to, ha to, have, a, to have a vote or, or a hearing or anything. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how you can say the court isn't political, certainly determined by political um, action, that's for sure. Okay. So, although Kavanaugh sided with the conservative majorities in the affirmative action and student loan rulings, as well as last summer's ruling overturning a nationwide right to abortion, even though he testified that he wouldn't, along with Amy Coney Barrett, and um, I call her Amy Grinnan Barrett, um, you know, um, it's pretty clear that there's ideology involved in that case. Uh, he was also part of the mixed conservative and liberal majorities this term that backed black voters in Alabama and preserved a federal law aimed at keeping Native American children with Native families. Okay, so you, you do have to give him credit for that. At least, um, you know, there, there was some clarity on those issues. I'm not sure why. It's interesting. It almost seems random, but, you know, I guess you'd have to get into the minutia of the decision-making. But um, And the term was marked by other notable surprises, rejecting conservative positions in a North Carolina redistricting case that could have reshaped elections across the country, while backing the Biden administration of fight over deportation priorities. Well, yeah, and in that case, of course, um, you know, you would expect the a conservative court, you know, to, um, you know, by the, the fact that they back the Biden administration is, is not, it's not a liberal position. It's just, he's a, he's a liberal administration supposedly. Um, but, um, you know, they went along with him because his, his deportation priorities are absolutely out of the conservative playbook. Right. So, cause he's gotta be a, a tough guy on crime, right? Back when he was a Senator. We have lived up, in my estimation, deciding cases based on law, not based on partisan affiliation and partisanship. We don't caucus in separate rooms. We don't meet separately. We're not sitting on different sides of the aisle at an oral argument. We work as a group of nine. Well, I guess that's anecdotal evidence, but, um, you know, you bring up four cases, and I guess you can make a case if you just apply it to four cases. But if you take the whole caseload of however many, 70 cases, which is a minuscule number compared to the, the amount they used to take, you can see the statistical evidence. You can just look it up. And so that's not true either. Speaking to an audience of judges, attorneys, and court personnel, so he's preaching to the choir, in other words, um, said, Kavanaugh said he didn't fully appreciate until he joined the court how much time the nine justices spend alone with each other. Aw. They eat lunch together around 65 times a year. Isn't that lovely? This collegiality, I don't know. I mean, I tend to think that that's not such a great thing. But anyway, you're there to do the work. You're not there to be buddies with each other, okay? And the rule at lunch is you can't talk about work. It's a good rule. It builds relationships and friendships. And then when we have tough cases and we only really have tough cases, you have a reservoir of goodwill toward each of the other people. Well, I mean, should you have a reservoir of goodwill? I mean, should, should that really play a role? You know, how you feel personally about somebody? I mean, I guess I was always surprised that Scalia and Ginsburg were, were, were friends, right? 
But, um, you know, I think they were friends, friends based on things that were outside the court. But, um, you know, if it predisposes you, you know, to certain biases because you have a friendship with somebody, I don't know that that's really good. You don't have to be friends with your colleagues, right? I mean, how many people uh, do you know who are great buddies with their people at their workplace? I mean, a lot of times there's a lot of antagonism. But anyway... Um, Kavanaugh said he was warmly welcomed in his first term in 2018 by then-Justices Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer, part of the court's liberal wing. He also praised his working relationships with the two newest justices, conservative Amy Grinnan Barrett and liberal Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Now, she seems to be the, the purest of all the justices. I mean, she's the one who's been there the least amount of time, but at least she, I mean, she has, apparently has a book deal coming out, too. But I don't know. She seems the, the cleanest of all the justices. Um, so uh, Kavanaugh, who is the justice most often in the majority this term, in divided cases, said the Supreme Court hears 60 to 70 cases a term and that only a relative few might get most of the attention. Okay. He said there are lots of 9-0 decisions and there can also be lots of seven two six three decisions. Well... <laughs> Yeah, but uh, never in the liberals, uh, in the liberals' advantage, right? It's <laughs> if there are nine zero decisions, is a pre kind of a no brainer court wise usually, right? So the liberals are just like, yeah, of course, you know, and based on legal grounds. But if they're seven two six three, it's always along ideological lines, almost always, and tilting toward the conservative because they have the majority on the court. I mean, this is just the logic. This is a Supreme Court justice who thinks like this. I mean, you know, take a course in logic. It's it's rather scary. I mean, I I don't know. I'm not a legal person, but at least, I, you know, you have to be able to think clearly, right, when you analyze things. All sorts of different lineups, she said. And so I might be working with Sonia Sotomayor on the Andy Warhol case while we disagree on a case on the competition clause. We're not going to let our relationship where we're working together on one suffer just because we disagree on another. And that's going on with all nine of us on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, it sounds very, that's a very um, kind of uh, rosy picture, I think. Um, Kavanaugh only briefly mentioned the ethics issues that have dogged some justices. Hint, hint, the AP News investigation, including conservatives Clarice Thomas, Samuel Alito. I call him grumpy. Reminds me of the, the one of the seven dwarfs, right, um, and liberal Sotomayor, and potentially undermine public confidence in the court, potentially. I think that the court has the lowest approval ratings in the history of the court. I think it's down near 18%, so they better start doing something about it. He noted that Chief Justice John Roberts, Mr. Roberts, said in May that the justices were continuing to work on that as a group. Okay, well, you better hurry up. I'm not going to add anything to what the Chief Justice has said on that topic. Well, I mean, what's so bad about saying we should have ethics? I don't know. What other institution does not have an ethical code that's enforceable? I mean, certainly the other branches of government have it. Any company, corporate company that you work with, they have some kind of uh, ethical code. But, you know, it might be a joke, but at least they they, they have one. Um Roberts offered no specifics at the time, and the justices had not adopted an ethics code. Well, that in itself is just, uh, you know, completely ridiculous, um, particularly since their lifetime appointments. Um, 
you 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 it's it's just you have to have an ethical code and um just saying that you can impeach a justice doesn't really make up for that right um that's a very difficult thing that almost has never happened in the whole history um so yep Okay, and then he says, well, you better be comfortable with criticism because, well, apparently he's not that comfortable with criticism. When when I saw him, uh, you know, in front of the, uh, when he was being confirmed, right in front of the judici ju Judiciary Committee, he certainly did not seem to be able to take criticism very well. But now that he's in and he's got the uh, cloak literally over him and the secret, you know, kind of deliberation and by the way, the, the, the justices, um, they are in a position, I think, professionally to be at the top of their game in a sense. But, um, you know, the one thing that people don't know is that the justices don't really, <laughs> right? So the justices hire clerks, and the clerks come from the same institutions that they came from. And they have a conservative bias, right, most of the time. In the way that I'm talking about it, not not necessarily politically, but culturally, right? That's going to show up in the law. And those clerks are the ones who do the majority of the work, actually, in terms of the research, right? So if you have a bunch of conservative clerks, you know, looking for research and they're biased, well, they're going to look for only research that they think will appeal to the justice, right? They probably will not, you know, what you really should do is look for all of the evidence that's out there, right? And and try to come up with a decision for all of the people, whether it's conservative or liberal, right? You look at all of the arguments, right? Be, be, because our law system is an adversarial system, even in the Supreme Court it's adversarial, right? Because you put forth your best argument, not necessarily what... You're not looking for the truth, Right? over all time and space and over all for all the all the people right in this case confined to the united states because that's all they're really ruling on but as we know you know the constitution is not just a national document when they made the constitution and the declaration of independence and all that um the committees that were in charge of those things you know some of the people we know very well ben franklin thomas jefferson John Adams, uh, Monroe, um, you know, um, Madison, of course, um, they went looking all over the world, right? For what, what did the, what, what do these, what did these people do? What did the, what did ancient Rome do? What did the people, what did the, um, you know, no matter where it was, where they, I think they even went as far as Asia, you know, to consult about their law, right? And, because they had to come up with a pretty fresh document coming out of that, the age of, you know, basically kings and queens and royalty and serfdom. You know, they had to come up in, in all the church, um, you know, influence. They had to come up with the best of from all around the world. So to say that the Constitution just somehow sprang out of the United States is, is, is not a correct notion. But anyway, that's what these... Uh, Texturalists would like you to believe, you know, but it's not true. So anyway, let's get to the heart of the AP investigation. I'm going to start with the AP's point of view because it's interesting to see what the kind of um, 
the kind of reaction they got when, when they were doing the investigation. So it says, inside the AP's investigation into the ethics practices of the Supreme Court's justices. So the AP is going out there trying to figure out what's going on inside, right? So they relied on documents obtained from more than 100 public record requests to public colleges, universities, and other institutions, meaning private colleges, that have hosted the justices over the past decade. Here's a look at how the reporting was done. To conduct its review, the AP surveyed local news stories and social media and obtained data from SCOTUS Tracker, a website that logged justices' activities, to develop a list of appearances over the past 10 years. In late 2022 and early this year, the AP submitted records requests to the public institutions on that list, citing individual state statutes that require disclosure of certain documents to the public. All right. Requests sought a broad range of information. AP separately queried more than 100 private colleges, universities, and charities that have also hosted justices or organized events for them, requesting that they provide the same information that was asked of public institutions. Some confirmed basic details of the visits, but few provided substantive information. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Okay. That's file that under cover your ass. The AP cataloged the travel and perks afforded to the justices. AP also compiled a list of guests, including donors and politicians, who were invited to private receptions with justices and vetted them wherever possible against information in federal court records, federal election commission filings, online photo albums of events, and other publicly available data. Okay. The responses among public institutions varied widely. Some schools, including blah, 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 provided records free of charge. Some schools turned over thousands of pages of records and some other numbers. Um, okay, and then they, they talk about, you know, um, other institutions, um, what they got, how much they paid for it. Um, in some instances, the AP filed multiple requests with the same institution, either because the school asked that the initial request be substantially narrowed, okay, of course, or because an initial response suggested that even more details might be available. In the case of the University of Texas at Tyler, for instance, the AP filed a follow-up request to obtain a guest list for a dinner with Thomas. Follow-up request was filed with the University of Mississippi for the cost of a flight that carried Justice Elena Kagan, Justice Antonin Scalia and Scalia's son and grandson in 2014. Some institutions were less than forthcoming. That's, a, that's the uh, understatement of the year. The AP went to the Illinois State Attorney General to get a binding opinion directing the Chicago Public Library to produce documents related to a visit by Sotomayor. Other schools, including the University of Arizona, have said their search for records remained ongoing after more than six months. So it's just like, okay, if we just delay, 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 they're going to have to publish their report at some point. So if we just, just don't, you know, drag our feet on it, they won't get our information, right? So, it, you know. The, the tendency, obviously, here is to, is to uh, you know, is to deflect, to obstruct, obfuscate, whatever words you want to use. Um, the APA did pay school, some schools for the documents, and we're talking about hundreds of dollars. But some schools responded to records requests with, free de- with fee demands that the AP deemed unreasonable. The University of Georgia, for processing two requests, the... the, the um, the fee cited was $18,000. Okay, I don't know what institution is going to cost you $18,000 to do something like that. Okay, so 
And then they say, their disclaimer, the Associated Press receives support from several private foundations to enhance its explanatory coverage of elections and democracy. See more about the AP's democracy initiative here. So at least, you know, they have something that, you know, in terms of what they do, you can refer to. But wow, I mean, you know, you're already off to a bad start, right? Uh, they're just trying to avoid it like the plague, right? And it, it's understandable to be defensive to some extent, but... Um, when it just speaks so loudly, I mean, really, uh, it, it seems pretty obvious that, that they're trying, you know, all these institutions are trying to cover things up. And it's not just the conservative institution. It's not just the private ones. It's also the public ones. That's why it's so disturbing. And there's even more evidence for my point of view that this is not a conservative versus a democratic thing. Although, I mean, not democratic, but liberal thing with a small L. Right. Um, I do think it's weighted more toward the conservatives. They're doing the, the, the violations that are much more egregious. I mean, Sotomayor, if you're selling books, I mean, you're entitled to sell some books. But if you're using um, your employees who are government, federal government employees, and you're paying them with taxpayer funds to do it, that's a clear violation. And so I, she doesn't really have any... Uh, grounds for getting around this but you know her level of you know i don't know what you call it um you know I, it's hard to say what you're going to call it because you know um it's only a violation if the supreme court believes it's a violation i i guess there's self-policing um institution and any self-policing institution is is going to have a higher level on average of of fraud and and uh, other malfeasance than than one that doesn't. I mean, um, that isn't self-policing. That's just, uh, I mean, common sense, I would think. But uh, anyway, the first article is about justices teach when the Supreme Court isn't in session. It can double as an all-expenses-paid trip. So let's look at that. What does that mean? Okay, well, teaching. Um, teaching, again, is something that is considered, you know, rather mundane, but uh, teaching itself, right? And there are rules. You can't accept, you know, more than $30,000 over the entire year or so. But it has been corrupted over the years, right? I mean, I think in, in the past, there would be an occasional appearance. It was actually a rarity. Now, now they've become almost like celebrities, and they're becoming rich as well, making millions and millions of dollars. How are they doing that on the salary they have, just like everybody else? You know, they've decided that, you know, we're not going to miss out on the money-making opportunity in the government. We're going to do it in any way that we can. And, and one of the ways they might not get money from it, but they certainly get lots of nice perks that none of us as, uh, pub, as, as, as private citizens would be allowed to get either at your work or, you know, in public in terms of using the taxpayer dollar, right? So for decades, the University of Hawaii Law School has marketed its jurist and residence program to the Supreme Court as an all-expenses-paid getaway with the upside of considerable downtime in paradise. The justices have enthusiastically participated. Okay, well, right then and there, you're like, all right, that seems a little dicey, but, you know, okay, how, is, how are they being influenced? That's really the question. So um, recent visitors were Ginsburg, Kennedy, Breyer, um, yeah, and the dean says, well, I, I think they would, uh, they would recommend the experience highly when, and now the dean is trying to, you know, 
lure Justice Sotomayor, but um, <laughs> she's a little bit more resistant to the idea, okay? But first class airfare, excellent hotel accommodations, all of the travel expenses. Right. Should we have hope of having the justice here while the icy winds blow in Washington? I mean, how mani manipulative that language is. Um, yeah, warm and yet comfortable greetings from paradise. Um, teaching is encouraged as a way to demystify the nation's highest court. Why do we need to demystify? I think it's pretty clear what they do. While exposing the justices to a cross-section of the public, well, they can do that very easily. I mean, especially with modern means having on the internet. For decades, they have traveled the globe during court recesses to lecture. It is permissible practice so long as their earnings are less than the court's roughly 30000 cap on outside income. Well, if you include all the perks, you know, just because they're not getting cash doesn't mean they're not getting, you know, uh, cash equivalents for all these hotel stays and everything, okay? Um, and then they say, well, it's got to be at a certain kind of institution. Okay, that's beyond the point. Who cares? Um... So, some of these trips have been to Italy, Iceland, Hawaii, okay, um, and if they're jurists and they believe in, you know, kind of these, this very narrow interpretation of the Constitution, why are they going to Italy, Iceland, and Hawaii in person? I don't, I don't understand. I mean, Hawaii makes sense, because it's a state at least, but, okay. That are light on class, classroom instruction with ample time carved out for the justice's leisure. So basically, they're a vacation Right, it's like when you go on a on on a trip, you know, in a in a professional association or with your company, and you know, you go to this place, and you know, it's not the point is not really like in my case as a social worker, you can go to all these retreats, you know, pay thousands of dollars to go to Italy to learn something about CBT or learn something about whatever, but you're not there for that. You're using that as an excuse, you know, to go and have a vacation. You know, in that case, you have to pay for it yourself, so it's on you. But in this case, in the Supreme Court justices, it's it's coming out of the taxpayer's dollar, right? It makes it makes it, it makes no sense, and it's it's abuse, right? So someone, you know, who's criticizing the justices says, "This is a level of luxury that most Americans will never see." Absolutely, and the fact that the justices are receiving it by virtue of the position seems to be outside ethical bounds. Wow, that's putting it mildly. Okay, um, the particulars of, of these excursions are often shrouded from public view because the justices are only required to offer spare accounting on their annual financial disclosure uh, forms. But details obtained by the AP reveal that these trips, which would cost the justices thousands of dollars if paid out of pocket, are in some cases subsidized by anonymous donors to the schools whose motivations can be difficult to assess. Well, you know, schools are also, by definition, conservative. So they have an agenda. All these people are in the country club together, so to speak. And, you know, they're all patting each other's back and all getting the benefits. That, that, that is it, basically, in a nutshell. And it really doesn't matter what the politics of it is, right? So if you're... If, if they're subsidized by anonymous donors, wow, I don't know. Is there a difference between a donor and an anonymous donor? I don't think so, really. Because what if all the donors are of one persuasion? It doesn't matter if they're anonymous, right? And don't tell me these people, you don't know who these people are. Everybody knows who they are, you know. They just don't document it, right? Because um, certain institutions have certain, you know, 
persuasions, and they get mostly donations from one, you know, kind of poll or the other. So, spokesman for the University of Hawaii said that school is so isolated from the continental United States that offering first-rate accommodations to the justices is one way to ensure they will make the trip. Okay, well, that's just an excuse, right? That's that's called a rationalization. Right? They don't have to come. They can put up a video conference if they want to. Um, as a public university in one of the most isolated places on earth, our jurist and residence program would not be possible without our donors, and we thank them for their support. Well, in other words, he's saying, you know, don't scrutinize what we're doing because it's serving a greater purpose. Well, I'm sorry. I think you have to, it's, it's the other way around, right? You have to have your ethics in place first and then, you know, try to make it fit that, you know? You don't <laughs> do it the reverse way where you do something and then you say, oh, this is why it conforms to the ethics. And you have a very, let's say, a tenuous argument. So, so they talk about people going to Hawaii and that's just one, one Alito apparently went there, you know, hey, when can we schedule in your golfing and your snorkeling? And what time do you want to get up in the morning? Don't you like this and that? And they're bending over backwards, you know, so I think anybody, if you're groveling like that towards somebody, it means you have some kind of agenda, usually. I mean, um, you wouldn't grovel like that if it were really on the up and up. There's all sorts of psychological baggage that you, you can just tell that, uh, you know, they're, they're keeping it on the down low pretty much and getting away with it. So, yeah. Yeah, so they, they teach a little class and then they're, you know, they then they meet all the dignitaries and they get dined, wined and dined, although Sotomayor apparently put up some some defenses against that and said she wouldn't be participating in that. But um, yeah, soon after being seated on the Supreme Court, Justices Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh joined the faculty of the Antonin Scalia School of Law at George Mason University. As required, they both reported their teaching contracts and compensation, which climbed to about $25,000. That's just one place. So you're already getting up near thirty. You know, one place is getting you up real close to thirty thousand. I don't know. You only got five thousand more. Um, apparently they don't do they don't do much. So I don't know about you, but you know, I don't know about how many of the people who are not elites are able to have these sweet deals. Kind of like Hunter Biden. He has no idea about gas and oil or anything, but he gets this. You know, I don't know how much it was fifty thousand dollars a month to consult about it. You know, you think I would get that position? I, I certainly hope I wouldn't, because I have no expertise in it. But, you know, this is the elite world, right? So everybody's greasing each other's palms and basically getting away with it. Um, what else are they saying here? A $20 million contribution from an anonymous donor in 2016, which has been widely reported, was made contingent on renaming the school for Scalia, as well as hiring roughly a dozen new faculty members. To ensure the school complied with the agreement, the donor and the school agreed that um, this person would serve as an overseer. Okay, but this is the president of uh, an executive vice president of the Federalist Society, all right? So it's like the the wolf you know, guarding the hen house. Um, in addition, $10 million was contributed by the Koch brothers. Okay, well, we all know who they are and what their 
persuasion is, right? So it's it's very heavily weighed, in, unless I don't know something about it. There, there might also be a lot of liberals who are supporting the thing. It's in their interest, but we, we don't really hear about it. University has sole and absolute discretion to determine and carry out all selection, research, scholarship, teaching, and service at the school. Yeah, well, on paper. While the school committed to, you know, if they did something against the agenda that these people have, they, you know, they might even take their money back. It's happened before. Um, yeah. Any suggestion that any donor or third party had oversight over who was hired is inaccurate and factually unfounded. Well, yes, in the actual process, they're probably clean in that respect. But, of course, you're going to be biased by the people who give you the money. I mean, on average, you're going to probably slant toward them. It's just human nature. I mean, anybody who says they don't is lying. Um, unless you're really ethical. And, not, you know, there aren't that many people who are that ethical when they're making lots of money off everything. So Gorsuch goes to Italy. Um, you know, he gets his airfare alone costs $8,000. Apartment costs $5,000. Side trips paid for the for by the school included trips to Bologna. I mean, why, why is the school paying for all this? I mean, you know, the, you, people don't just pay things for without the expectation that there's going to be a reward. They go to Reykjavik in Iceland. Elena, uh, Justice Elena Kagan went. Um, taught for one day. The school covered the cost of her travel and lodging for her nearly week-long stay. Okay. You know, Justice Kagan... Even though I think she decides the, court, the the cases pretty well, you know she's a part of this the system. She was the dean of Harvard Law School. What do you, what do you think? I mean, she's getting all these perks, right, uh, because of her position. You know, even before she was on the court. Um, you know, and so it goes on and on and on. People going to London. People going to you know. How come they don't go to University of Notre Dame in South Bend because it's not sexy enough? Why do you have to go to their London law program? Right? Um, I don't know. It could be a little less money just going straight to the law school. Right? But, uh, you know, that that's kind of corruption that goes on. Um, what's the second? The second article is about senators calling for the Supreme Court to follow ethics code. Well, of course. Like other branches of government. What other, like I said before, what other branch of government is, is completely free to self-police? Never heard of it. If they just established the basic standards of every other branch of government, it would give us much more confidence in their integrity. That is for sure. Yeah. The AP published stories showing that Justice Sonia Sotomayor, aided by her staff, has advanced sales of her books through college visits over the past decade. Yep. Universities have used trips by justices as a lure for financial contributions by placing them in event rooms with wealthy donors. Okay, that's an obvious, um, you know, it used to be a thing called the, the, the um, what did they call it? Even, even the suggestion of impropriety, right, would get people into trouble. And that should be, a, that should be one of the criteria that are used in this thing. But, you know, unless, unless you're caught red-handed, um, you know, you're not, you, I guess you're not going to be paying any price. Um, yeah, and then the expenses paid teaching trips are mentioned again. So, Durbin and other lawmakers in Washington have announced a vote next week on legislation that would require the court to adopt an ethics code while the measure is unlikely to pass. Why? 
it sends a signal of discontent about the court. Um, so Justice John Roberts has referred to um, set. The nation's highest court operates without an ethics code. Instead, following what Just Chief Justice Roberts, John Roberts has referred to as a set of foundational ethics principles and practices, which I guess are secret. Yeah. So they talked about to Senator Blumenthal, who is an attorney um, and a former prosecutor, sits on the Judiciary Committee, called them powerful reports, talking about the AP News, that amount to a drip-by-drip-by-drip drip drip indictment of a Supreme Court that seems answerable to no one for ethical breaches. Absolutely. A Chief Justice recently really ought to be taking these into account for the sake of the court and the country, because the Supreme Court will no longer exist as a truly viable institution if it con continues the failure to face the need of a fur code of ethics. Absolutely. In contrast, Senator Cornyn from Texas, Republican, another member of the Judiciary Committee, said he believes Congress should leave the ethics issues to the court and that Democrats' pursuit of ethics reform is part of a long-standing assault against the court, that the left feels undermining a lot of things they've accomplished over the years by judicial action. To me, that's the motivating factor. Okay. Well, when the shoe is on the other foot, of course, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't plead the same argument, right? I think it's a co-equal branch of government we don't have jurisdiction over. Secondly, I think that this is part of a false narrative that the court is out of control and needs Congress to save it. Well, I don't know. If everybody keeps telling you it, you might want to pay attention. Yeah. Kathleen Clark, a law professor at Washington University in St. Louis and an expert in legal ethics, said the latest reporting reveals the extent to which ethics problems at the Supreme Court is an equal opportunity scandal. Well, yeah, again... Let's not do the both sidesism stuff. The conservatives are, 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 you know, when you look at Clarence Thomas's record, oh my God, the amount of, you know, whatever you call it, just uh, influence that's bought with him alone is pretty scandalous. Um, so it's not just about Clarence Thomas and, and Alito. Um, it's an institutional rather than an individual problem. Well... Again, I mean, I, I know people like to kind of, you know, hedge their their arguments so that they get the results they want. But, you know, I, I mean, you, you, you just can't say on the one hand this, on the other hand that. I mean, one side is much more egregious than the other. So even, even that, right? I mean, even people who are criticizing are careful to bend over backwards, you know, um, to make it seem different from what the facts would tell you. I mean, this is just the fundamental dishonest, you know, because their their jobs are at stake too, right? If they say something too truthful, right, the university might come a-knocking on the door and say, hey, you're making us look bad. You're making us look, you know, why are you complaining? What is, you know, all this kind of stuff. So Supreme Court justices and donors mingle at campus visits. These documents show the ethical dilemmas. Okay, I don't even think we need documents, but anyway... Um, Again, we're talking about uh, Clarence Thomas, and then he went to uh, community college in Texas. Um, so Ken Starr was involved, setting this up. And then they, they have an example of Kagan going to the University of Colorado Law School. Um, one official in Boulder suggested a larger donor-to-staff ratio for dinner with her. So right there, right, what does that mean? 
if 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 it weren't the case that any of this had any effect, you know, why would they be promoting that, right? Um, so, yeah, once she once Sotomayor agreed to going to Clemson, officials there made sure to invite one one million dollar plus donors to the South Carolina College. Yeah, you're telling me that's education, huh? Tens of thousands of pages of email and other documents that reveal the extent to which public colleges and universities have seen just visits by justices as opportunities to generate donations. So in inside, uh, you know, the, the machinations of the college itself, they're talking in those terms, right? Let's get these people over here because if we get the justices, the prestige of the justice coming to our institution, then the donors will buy into it and... You know, they'll say, well, it doesn't have anything to do. There's no effect. But if you look at it statistically, I, I'm sure you could show that there is an effect. The documents also reveal that justice expanding the court's ideological divide have lent the prestige of their positions to partisan activity. Of course, headlining speaking events with prominent politicians or advanced their own personal interests, such as sales of their books. The conduct would likely be prohibited if done by lower court federal officials. So why do the lower courts have higher standards than the highest court, right? When the Supreme Court is the end of the road, people, you can't appeal after the Supreme Court. So they have to be scrutinized with extra, you know, deliberation. But I guess they don't feel like that's uh, wise. But the Supreme Court's definition of banned fundraising is so narrow, simply an event that raises more then it costs or where guests are asked for donations that it does not account for soliciting contributors later while reminding them of the special access they were afforded. I mean, I kind of mangled that sentence, but you get the idea. The justices should be aware that people are selling access to them, said this law professor, an ethics expert. I don't think they are naive, but they certainly have been putting themselves in situations where people can credibly claim, I'm giving you access or... I'm going to fundraise off my claimed closeness or access, and that is a problem. Now, we could talk about the whole lobbying situation in, in D.C., which is another, you know, egregiously unethical practice. But um, anyway, the court routinely asks event organizers to confirm that an event at which justice will speak is not a fundraiser, and it provides a definition of fundraiser in order to avoid misunderstanding. So, okay, sure. Court then follows up with event organizers to elicit further information as appropriate. So in all these documents, that doesn't sound like that's what they're doing. The court's practices, practice has been useful. Justice, justices have declined to be featured at events, even though event organizers expressly told Chambers that, I guess they're speaking about this person, saying that the events were not fundraisers following additional inquiry by the court that confirmed them to be fundraisers. Okay, so again, anecdotally, Here's a couple examples of where we denied it, but by f I'm sure, by and large, they, they don't. Still, the revelations come at a fraught moment for the court, which by constitutional design settles disputes that set fundamental boundaries in American life. The court's integrity is being questioned because of concerns about ethics, abuses by justices, and polarizing court rulings, including this last year's decision overturning Roe v. Wade. 2022 survey put trust in the court at a 50-year low, with just 18% expressing a great level of confidence. 
At the heart of some of the questions now being raised by the court is the fact that it operates without a formal code of conduct, leaving justices with no common reference point. Yeah, I mean, again, where, where, where does that happen? Without one, you don't have an agreed-to set of rules, and it becomes a question of, am I bothered by this, or is this okay with me? Right? That's not ethics. That's just, you know, judgment. It can be, you know, you can, you know, kind of pick and choose the way you want to see it. Um, then that gets reflected through a political lens and leads to questions of legitimacy. That's a real problem. I do think so. Yeah. Lower court federal judges are generally barred from engaging in fundraising, political activity, and lending the prestige of judicial office to advance a judge's own private interests. But Supreme Court justices are asked only to adhere to what Chief Justice John Roberts. You know, why this guy? Is he the king? I don't know. So, we do have a serious problem. Yeah. So there was an investigation by ProPublica showing that Thomas repeatedly accept luck, accepted luxury vacations, including a half a million dollar trip to Indonesia. I don't know about you, I don't get these perks. From Harlan Crow, a billionaire businessman, Republican donor, and longtime friend. I mean, you, you have so many reasons to reject this thing. I mean, normally, any, any average Joe would know that, you know, that would be dangerous territory to go into. The scrutiny expert calls for an ethics code. I mean, what about, how about these people resigning? These people would be out in the past. They'd be out in a second. But not anymore, because this has just become par for the course. Yeah, so they kind of repeat some of what I've already been over. But, um, yeah, no, talking about Justice Sotomayor. No, the justice will not do a private dinner at a club with Mr. Boas, who's a donor of the law school. So at that point, she said, nope. Can 2B of the Code of Conduct for U.S. Just judges provides that a judge should avoid lending the prestige of judicial office to advance the private interests of the judge or others. The judge, justice, is fastidious about following this get Well, not, apparently not. Right? Because she's using people on her staff to sell her books. Right? That is a problem. Yeah. Well... Brian O'Rourke, another alumni relations official, wrote, When you say $1 million donors, please be sure to include our corporate donors at that level, too. An English professor, Lee Morrissey, who helped organize the visit, commenting on the visit's higher-than-expected cost, described it as a takes-money-to-make-money moment. Contacted later, he said he did not mean that literally. Well, how did he mean it? But rather was referring to the general prospect of greater attention for the humanities program. Okay, that sounds like a really good excuse. That makes no sense. Um, Clemson spokesman, spokesman said, told the AP in a statement that the event was not a fundraiser and that there were no solicitations of donations requested in association with it. Well, so if it will, I, I'm going to say it, and if I say it, it's true. <laughs> this is the kind of arrogance that these people have. This is the kind of world that they live in, right? Most people, the elite, top 1% or 2%, not even 5%, you know, this is how they live. Why do you think people go to law school? Because they know at the end, no matter what you do, you're going to get an enormous check. One way or another. Yeah. 
Okay, what else? It is not giving to the Clarice Thomas event, she said in a recent interview. It is giving to the college at a later date because they were treated with courtesy and invited to a very special event. Every single college in America does that. And if they don't, they're not, they are not fundraising. Well, again, that's a very iffy answer, right? I mean, just because you delay the payment, that makes it okay. Um, you know, just because every college in America, that makes it okay. If, if you, you know, if uh, I tell you to jump off a bridge, um, you know, you're going to jump off a bridge. You know, this is, this is crazy. Fundraising is what it's called. And then you do the big ask, hopefully, later, right? Well, she, she's an, this, this person has normalized it so that all these things that used to be considered, you know, unethical are now just completely, what do you mean? How dare you question me? Yeah. May Alice and I share this with Harlan, as you, Harlan Crow? As you well know, I want to connect with the justice, if at all possible. You know, it's all these little emails that uh, you know, make it clear that this is not just, you know, innocent stuff. There you go. Roughly 100 invitees went to this thing um, hosted by a GOP donor. Guests were shuttled aboard buses to the Mediterranean-style mansion of local businessman Clifton Robinson, which boasts 26 marble columns and sweeping views of Lake Waco. Oh, that must be beautiful. They dined on crab cake bites, beef tenderloin, and citrus salmon. Yeah, nothing is too good for them. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, I could t you could go on for hours about this stuff, but check it out. Just look up AP News and read these series of articles. You, know? you see all the justices with these big smiles on their face. You know, we got private planes. Yeah, school arranged for its athletic association. Private jet to fly to Washington to ferry Thomas and his former law clerk at a cost of $16,000. <laughs> Standard practice. Right? And these two taught a course on religion and the First Amendment, met with students. They talked about the Burger King guy. I mean, it just goes on and on. Walt Disney, Disney World, DeSantis. I mean, everybody is caught up in the stuff. Trump, of course. But this article just keeps going on and on and on, right? Talks about what Gorsuch did in terms of, you know, having connections to um, Mitch McConnell, McConnell and things that were happening in Kentucky Law School. Um, I mean, people should be really alarmed by this stuff. But uh, I think there's just a lot of apathy out there, right? People can barely get by. They don't have enough time to think about this stuff. What else? Yeah, finally, this last one, right, about Sotomayor and her books. So, you know, the other thing is she has access to all sorts of publishers, and, you know, I mean, all this stuff doesn't, you know, if you're a writer, you know how hard it is to get a book published. She's a, you know, she writes these children's books. I mean, is she a children's book author? No, but because she's a justice, apparently, she gets to publish these things, right? And it's a, it's a nice little perk. You make them a lot of money off this stuff. You know, they talk about her coming from, you know, rather, you know, 
modest means. And so that's kind of, you know, okay, that's an excuse, right? Okay, well, she didn't come for money, so it's okay if she makes. She has benefited, too, from schools' purchases of hundreds, sometimes thousands of the books she has written over the years, right? Her books have earned her $3.7 million since she joined the court. Wow. I mean, just amazing. The documents reveal repeated examples of taxpayer-funded court staff performing tasks for the Justice's book ventures. I mean, who can do that? I mean... And she can do it because the court doesn't have a formal code of conduct. Okay. This is how, you know, this is one of the most basic tenets of ethics laws that protects taxpayer dollars from misuse. The problem at the Supreme Court is there's no one there to say whether this is wrong. Well, we all know it's wrong. Um, a statement, the Supreme Court said it works with the justices and their staff to ensure they are complying with judicial. So if we say so, that's, what, that's the truth. Um, wow. Yeah. It goes in again into appearances and how that, you know, just seems very iffy. Um, what else? Again, keeps going on and on. Clemson University, Michigan State. You know, these places are all in it together. Such promotional efforts risk damaging the Supreme Court's public standing further by placing an individual, an individual justice above the institution itself, said J. Michael Luddick, a former federal appeals court judge who has pushed for the justices to adopt a formal code of conduct. I have never believed that the Supreme Court justice should write books to supplement their judicial incomes. The potential for promotion of the individual justices over the court at the reputational expense of the court as an institution as well as the appearance of such is unavoidable. There you go, the appearance of, right? Whew. Justice Sotomayor would have recused in cases in which Penguin Random House was a party in light of her close and ongoing relationship with the publisher. Inadvertent omission failed to bring Penguin's participation in several cases to her attention. <laughs> Those cases ultimately were not selected for review by the court. Well, it seemed like a technicality. Someone from her camp, who insisted on anonymity, um, has not and will not profit from sales of her memoir. Okay. Beyond the $3.1 million advance that she received. <laughs> okay. It's okay if it's an advance. Again, more rationalization. Um... Royalties continues to she continues to earn royalties at least four hundred thousand dollars since twenty nineteen from the sales of her children's literature. Oh God, I mean, really, you can't even trust the people who you think are are a, a little more ethical about their behavior. Um, yeah, what else? I mean, just the way that these people are talking to each other, just trying to push the books, it's, it's, it's so clear that the, they're, they're trying to get what they want without saying that this is not ethical. 
Um, you know, they're, they're putting pressure on them. You know, oh, you only want 250 copies? That's not enough. Definitely not enough. So that means she's not coming if you don't buy 500? You know, that's just abusive in general. But for a Supreme Court justice to staff to have this, this attitude, I mean, it's basically bribery. Um, I mean, you can just go on and read it. Again, this just keeps going. Michigan State spent 110000 for 11,000 copies um, of a book. Right? Her biography is really just kind of, a, for lack of a better term, a rags to register it, so that makes it okay. Hello, Supreme Court team. Good news. A Penguin Random House worker emailed court staff. The order that Ann and I have been waiting for for Michigan State University is in. They're going to be ordering a total of 11,000 hardcover copies, but don't panic. We will not be delivering those copies to the Supreme Court at one time. All right, so <laughs> you can do it in a little trickle so nobody notices. I mean, come on. This is what children do. University of Albany in New York bought about 3,700 copies. Stony Brook, same thing. Officials worried 60 might be too many to sign. Uh-oh, her hand's going to get tired. Oh, God. I mean, this is how absurd it gets. Yep, you got royalty income. Thomas, a million. Breyer, 700,000. You know, again, it's not that they're making royalties on the. If they did it independently, that's fine. But if you if you if you do it in the context of your, you know, your official position, um, Gorsuch nine hundred thousand dollars. Coney Barrett received a reported two million dollar advance. Katanji Brown Jackson signed a book deal, but the amount of her advance was not public. She's she's getting wise because I'm not going to tell anybody. Are you kidding me. Um. Keeps going, keeps going. I'm not sure this is a good idea. Have we ever allowed other speakers to sell or offer their books that we have purchased for guests? The law school's head of marketing communications wrote to the dean, I think having a table of our bo books could be out of place. <laughs> you think? Then planning took a turn. Weeks before the ceremony, Sotomayor fractured her shoulder and canceled her appearance. And then they canceled the book order. So I guess everything's fine because it didn't happen. Well, you know, when there's a conspiracy, it's a conspiracy itself that's a crime, right? Okay. So this is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with, people. And uh, don't let it fool you. Don't Again, don't get into this idea that it's, you know, it's um, somehow, you know, they want you to believe that this is a fight between two sides. But they're all in on it together and the entire structure of the law school environment the academic environment the book publishing environment i mean look at obama making millions and millions of dollars as a as a so-called producer he has no you know he and his wife have no no business jumping into that right or the, the windsors you know um harry and megan at least megan has a has a hollywood you know, history, so it kind of makes sense in her case, but it's all tabloid stuff anyway. But look at him, his book, you know, I mean, it's everybody's, this is, this is not right. But anyway, um, I don't know how you can, 
read these articles and feel comfortable. I don't know how the Chief Justice can feel comfortable. But we'll see what happens. Probably nothing. You know, time will move on. It's just like the people do. They, they just, uh, you know, delay, delay, delay. You know, if we don't respond to this stuff, and we have enough allies to, to um, kind of make it go away, then it, it'll go away. And that's a very sad thing. And, um, you know, it's one thing in the other branches because you can vote them out of office. They have term limits. They have whatever. But the Supreme Court, you know, being an unlimited term, being the, the last stop on the railroad, right, um, you can't appeal past it. So, I mean, I think there has to be some kind of oversight and, um, if not, term limits put in place. I mean, 25 years, 15 years, something like that. I don't think it's healthy. Um, there is a theoretical argument for having people have a lifetime appointment um, so that you can rule um, without pressure from politics, but this thing has been completely flipped on its head. That's pretty much all they do now, right? Um, they're using a principle from the past to justify something that doesn't even exist. So, I mean, uh, it doesn't make sense to me, but... Um, just me, but anyway, I, I think I'm I'm going a little long in the tooth here, so I'm going to stop and uh, just say, yeah, it's uh, Giovanni McGuire with his uh, his layman's interpretation um, of what's going on with the court. Um, you know, my, my analysis is not legal legal um, reasoning; it's more broad than that, and that's I think exactly what we need for the Supreme Court. You know, there have to be rules that uh, supersede just legal, you know, kind of principles. Um, and that's what we call ethics and philosophy, right? So that'll be it for today, uh, July 13th, 2023. So I think we should all put pressure on our politicians to have the Supreme Court make some changes. It's in our best interest. Um because remember, we're not one of those people. We don't get any of these benefits, right? Why should they? Anyway, have a great day, and I will have another show in a couple days. Thanks for listening. <laughs>